Wednesday, Alone Against the Frost and Paperback Adventures. This is Staying In. So the way I see it is the um, the podcast can go two ways from this point in. I think we've got two paths to pick. It's a, a genuine multiverse moment, I feel like now. We pick one way, it's going to carve out one particular future for us. The other way is another particular future and we will never be the same. Red pill this point or on. blue pill. Yeah, absolutely. So we either sing happy birthday twice to celebrate mine and dan's um, birthdays or yeah. we go with what the public have voted which is talk about long johns i think i know what i'm voting for <laughs> <laughs> you made that ver- you made that very clear at the end of the last episode yeah, yeah. yes you did let's should we should we should we talk about it since the people have spoken was was well, that phrase vox deus vox Populi, Vox Populi, yeah. Vox Deus. Yeah, Vox Vox Populi. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is what I worry about: is then are we giving too much power to the listener? No. Yeah, if they, no. If they think they can get anything on here. If anything, not enough. Um, Whereas we can just be singing Happy Birthday and cracking yeah. on. We we can dictate. Yeah, people love that. Um, there is a tra- <laughs> yeah, there is a tradition of of singing Happy Birthday. Yeah, yeah. There was a tradition at one time of 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 dunking witches but let, i mean we, we got rid of it in the end didn't we um let's talk about let's talk about long johns because because i've been wanting to talk about this for a really long time <laughs> can, can we just you say that but how long have you been wearing long johns yeah well since I mean, like, we're talking like consecutive days now. Like, how long you've been wearing the long johns you're wearing right now? Oh, the ones I've been wearing right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, maybe slightly too long, uh, but like, I have been wearing long johns consistently since I think the end of November. Okay, and how long have you been? How and how long? And this is and this is really important. This is really important information. And and how long have you wanted to talk about long johns? <laughs> Since the end of November. Okay, okay, brilliant. Okay, because right. yeah. we're on episode 171 now. Was it 170? Yeah. Uh, so, Pete, Pete, yeah, Pete, is this is this because you've never worn prior to that date, which apparently is such a big turning point in your life? I'll remember it. Had you not worn long johns before? I had. I'd never worn long johns before. Oh, ever. I see. Yeah. Now, I've worn tights before. Yep. Yep. No context no needed. No context needed. Um, I have worn tight-fitting jeans before. <laughs> but never all together. But never all together. And ultimately, in a lot of ways, if you were to add in some jogging bottoms into this equation, you would have long johns. And so if, if it, you know, I'm, we've got some confused looks here, mostly from Dan's direction. Long johns basically are on, is a form of underwear, right? But they're not pants. They go above. Isn't it just pants. one word, underwear? You just you just created um, two words that have one word. But they are well, they 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 are clothes that go under other clothes, but they're not underwear. They're not like capital U underwear, right? They're not like pants, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so, um, Sam and Dan, I'm sorry, Pete, to interrupt you there. I'm picturing. You know the long johns that are worn in westerns, which has got a flap at the back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. 
See, I was I was thinking more like of a woolen pair of like wrestling tights. That, that that's where that's where my mind was going. That's mm. that is a little bit closer to what, what you should be. Okay, okay, thinking. less old prospector and more wrestler. Well, wrestler, ultimate warrior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, ultimate warrior. Um, yeah. So I've only just started getting into them, and I, the reason I've been getting into them. And I mean, I mean it's that. It's a weird thing them. to be getting into. I'm, I'm getting, getting lie. into them in the same way that I've getting, you know, got into, you know, comic books or movies. Like I'm getting into long johns because I can't. It might have been one of you lot actually that said it. it might not have been, but I heard a phrase <laughs> recently that I really loved. Right, we have cold winters in 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 Britain because we're basically the same level of like we're at the same height uh, of the world north, right, as Finland. Right, there are bits of Scotland that are like really high up. They are really getting quite close to the uh, the, the Arctic Circle, um, and it it gets cold. Meteorologically speaking, yes, yeah. we are as high as Finland, but we have the Gulf Stream, which means we don't get as cold as Finland. I just want to point and, that and, out. And also, Pete, you li- Pete, you live in the southwest. Yeah, oh, no, <laughs> I'm well. Aware. So you're closer well to the aware. equator than. All of us. Any of us. Yeah. Um, also, I get I get the full force of the Gulf Stream as well. That's the best thing about where I live, right? It's tropical um, yeah. where you are. So while yeah, so while we've got the Gulf Stream, and it's yeah. touch and go if we're going to get to keep it. But while we've got it, um, it is still quite chilly, right? It does it takes the edge off, but not enough. Um, and I heard this great phrase the other day, which is, "Heat the body, not the room." Right? There's a cost of living mm. crisis. Cosy lives. Folks, as as, uh, <laughs> as apparently the young people are saying now, Cosy lives. Um, which, by the way, I heard unironically said outside in public the other day, and I was very upset that I heard that actually <laughs> being said. And uh, because of Cosy lives, there's people who want to cut down on their energy bills, and you know you want to mm-hmm. do that, and you want to be more ecologically friendly and environmentally conscious, and all that good stuff. So I decided to try and warm the body and not the room. And Long John's. What I what I realised is Long John's was the final piece of the puzzle. Okay. okay. Because <laughs> you had everything but <laughs> I did. I did. I did. This is the piece of the puzzle. I have a hat that I can wear when it gets really, really uh, cold in here if I want to in my office. Yeah. I have fingerless gloves so I can do my tippity tappity typing. I can put on t-shirts. But for the longest time... You were naked from the waist down. (laughs) (laughs) What do I do? I might as well have been, because every single time, every single time I'd be sat in my office and I'd be chilly, I'd be thinking, I'd be thinking to myself, the rest of me, fine, toasty warm. This part of me can't figure it out. If only they did some form of underwear, underwear that I could put onto my legs to keep them warm. And that's where I discovered... Long John's and it has absolutely since November 2022 it has transformed the way that I live I bought three pairs so I just want to uh, I don't know why I'm doing this but as I said it's the future that we picked for ourselves so let's embrace it we could be singing happy birthday right now I was going to say there's an alternate world where me and Sam are sitting there joyfully listening to Pete and Chris sing to us but alas but but alas so so tell me about so you've so you've decided and this is i'm imagining now that you're on an episode of bbc's hard talk okay so you've decided <laughs> so so e- equally difficult questions being asked yeah, yeah. go on <laughs> so you've decided to commit to uh, your long yeah. don, your long john future 
Can you yeah. talk me through the the next stage of the process? So how do you evaluate what kind of long john you're going to get? Where are you going to buy it from? What is worthy of mm. warming the Willington waistline? Absolutely. Well, well so first you can just I think it's his long john journey. I think that's okay. Long john yeah, journey. JJ. Hashtag, yeah, hashtag long john journey. <laughs> So we're all about to go on one. So yeah, I mean, on my LJJ, I've decided that basically, uh, what would LJJ do? Everybody has their own LJJ, don't they? So, um, um, and in fact, actually, the day that you figure it out is called your LJJ day. <laughs> and we all sing to you. Yeah. Happy LJJ day to you. <laughs> had my first experience of lying on a waterbed okay oh have you ever been on a waterbed yes i have yes I, I don't think i have was it was it was it your bed for the weekend or was it just a, a, a bed you no, found it was in it, it was in the spa okay and it was it was crazy because like um it, it was heated as well it was warm Ooh, so oh, it, it oh. kind of felt yeah it, yeah i know that was the reaction i had at, like i was like oh I feel like I better check myself here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What were you expected like, to do on the? Just Just lie down. So I. Um, but the funniest thing was there was this one lady at the far end of the room who fell asleep, and because you're you're in this waterbed, it, it forces it can talk to your body into different angles. She was snoring like a trooper. <laughs> she just fell asleep, and then she woke herself up and couldn't get out of the waterbed. Oh, it had basically no. just sucked just her in. Consumed her. <laughs> Yeah, like that sofa in Black Books. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. And there was one point where I kind of just rolled over a bit too heavily and I literally nearly threw my partner off the bed. <laughs> uh, and it was really interesting. They have this decorum there where basically there's this thing called spa talk where you meant to talk in a very kind of radio show kind of way. You can't you can't talk very loudly whatsoever, very quietly. And uh, we were in this steam room. I think it was like a volcano steam room or something, or an alpine one. There was every kind of steam room there. And about 30 really lovely ladies just walked in who were clearly on a trip together, just having a chat. And they're like, oh, do you mind if we talk? You don't mind, do you? You don't mind. And you can't say no. You can't really see him for all this mist. And then it just became this lovely kind of conversation that went on there. And there was another bit where there was supposed to be, again, a silent, relaxing reading room. And these two people next to us were proper spilling the tea. And I was about to say, do you mind? Spa talk. Um, but no. Just point to the but sign. No. Pointing at the sign on the I, wall. I looked at my partner and I was like, oh, actually, this sounds Spot. really good. We're like, we're like, I need pop, popcorn here. This is incredible. They were talking oh, so you're, about how... You're a nebbin. Yeah. Where, like, one person, they were talking about how somebody they knew, yeah. their, a relative had died and their housekeeper had forged a will saying that they were their partner to get their... Oh, I know, we were... Oh, my word. That's spa talk. Yeah, that's great spa talk. Yeah, so, because we were reading at these books and we were just, we weren't, I could tell my partner hadn't turned a page for about 30 minutes. I knew that she wasn't reading. She was just listening. <laughs> yeah, making notes. Wow. I love going to a spa. And I realised the other day, I always used to say that I don't like gossip. I don't gossip. I don't gossip at all. But I, 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 do you know what? I do like a good gossip. I love gossip. Everyone gossips. I gossip. Everyone I know gossips. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And again, it's like one of those hideous, horrible, gendered things that we don't gossip. Of course we bloody gossip. Do. We do. Men do it. Of course Men we do. do it. Men do it. I would argue more than women. 
Like, oh yeah, me, Dan, and me and Dan and Sam always talk about you, Pete. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're always talking smack. Oh no, like it, it's such, it's so important. It's so important. There's something positive that can also come out of gossiping. I think, genuinely. Well, yeah, because if if you think about it, like playing an RPG is just gossiping with rules, isn't it? Exactly. Then I guess you could say I've been talking to myself recently. I, I, look, I threatened to I threatened to talk about it on the last pod, and now I am uh, I'm going to do it. Um, I don't think it was a threat; it was just an outright dictation. Well, I think. It, I mean, when I <laughs> said it, uh, the face the faces were not particularly um, keen on the idea, but I'm going to talk. Yeah, about but it anyway. didn't put you off. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it didn't. Because you just waited me. for an extra person to be here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been playing Call of Cthulhu again. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, I've been playing the final of the currently published Alone Against solo Call of Cthulhu adventures. So uh, we've talked about these before on the podcast. Alone Against the mm. Flames, Alone Against the Dark, Alone Against the Long Tide, Jones. and uh, now, <laughs> uh, just like Long John's will help you do, uh, Alone Against the Frost. Oh, um, not Dan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Hello, yeah, Dan. yeah, it's a book about me and Dan. <laughs> um, taking him down. Taking him down. Um, so... Basically, the for, for those that don't know, Alone Against uh, the series uh, is a series of game books. So remember, choose your own adventures, turn to page seven. Oh no, you got eaten by Gru. It's like that, uh, except for it uses um, a bunch of mechanics from the Call of Cthulhu games. So uh, D100 percentile system, roll under. So you have um, out of 100 an amount of skill. Uh, so if you have like 60 skill, you are an expert in whatever that thing is. So that might be like archaeology, let's say. You have 60 in archaeology. Then you take a D100, which is just two D10s, two 10-sided dice. Roll that. One of them is the tens number. One of them is the single digits number. And you roll under that 60. And that means that you pass the check. So if you are 60 good at something, that means you have to pass, roll under the thing. Um, so it does mechanics like that and some other bits and pieces, but that's the big thing that it really that it really brings uh, that these games really bring with it. They were originally published; a bunch of them were re- originally published in the eighties, and the re-release of them for Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition, which is what I've been playing. They basically took those originals and have updated them and um, and done a really good job. Like not just like reprinted them, but actually taken some time to do some work on them to make them more modern. Um, so they're still all set in their exact same, you know, spaces and like it's still like 1920s-ish um, for for the most part. Um, and this one, Alone Against the Frost, is about the Canadian wilderness. And uh, you play a researcher from the Miskatonic University, because there is only one university in the Call of Cthulhu universe, apparently. Um, and you are out there to find, investigate the stories that have been told about the locals. Apparently it's a very dangerous place to be and um, some, uh, some very horrible things happen out in these woods. And, and from there, you go out there, you have some fellow investigators that go with you. They're your students and they might be used to help you with some roles, for example. And then stuff happens, which I won't, uh, I won't spoil, but it's bad because it's called Cthulhu, obviously. Um, this was originally published under the name Alone Against the Wendigo, and they changed the name as part of the modernization process. And I did not know this, um, but apparently the Wendigo has quite a bit of religious or, or cultural connotation that yeah. I, I'm just not yeah. aware of. Uh, I totally was not aware of that. So they've changed it to Alone Against the Frost. 
Um, That's more thematically. Oh yeah, you know, compared it's to the other books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And unlike Alone Against the Dark, which is a kind of world sprawling adventure, or Alone Against the Flames, which is very very small in scale, this one feels kind of mid size, but has a bit of, but feels a little bit more like you're going off on expeditions. So it's kind of like a central hub, and then you go off to different spaces, and you try and almost push your luck. So um, wherever you end up going, you are going to run into trouble. And it's about pushing your luck for as long as you possibly can and staying alive while you do it. Um, and then returning to the university and publishing your work. And depending on what you did, will depend on the kind of ending that you get. It was written in the 80s and it was written by Glenn Rahman. And, and it has uh, Gavin Inglis uh, has also been involved in it. And I think Gavin did the redo of it basically it's incredibly well written like it is genuinely some really spooky writing like there's some really horrific writing in there that is i was reading this i was, I was playing this by myself sat in my long johns under under a under a, 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 a under a blanket trying to keep warm and there are just little throwaway lines in here that are really unsettling and it's that kind of writing where you read past it and it takes your brain a moment to catch up with it. And then you really you put two and two together and you mm. think, oh, that's actually horrible. That's a horrible idea. Brilliantly, uh, brilliantly executed. And it's fantastic. The artwork is um, very, very good as well, as you would expect from a Chaosium published uh, title. I think this was the last one to be published, I think. Or it might have been Alone Against the Tide. Either way, lots of good art in here. Lots of good photography uh, from, you know... Um, a lot of like uh, photography of things that are kind of out of copyright, uh, which is something that Chaosium tends to do a lot, which I, I think looks really, really good. And some just some really lovely updated art. And I really like this idea of, so he plays um, Dr. Nadelman, and one of the cool things they did with it is they made the character male or female. So you, it, uh, there was a lot, uh, the original version of this was like very masculine, very, very male. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, there are a lot more female characters in this one now, which I think is a really good move. Lots of lovely mm -hmm. artwork, lots of, uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, more cultural representation, which I think is really, really good as well. And it comes with all of the, the all of these different characters that go with you, and you kind of you end up not caring for them, these other <laughs> characters that are with you, because it doesn't give you enough time. So it doesn't mm. give you enough time to kind of get to know these characters, and you don't really understand. They feel a little bit resourcey at times, but you also realise that you're going to be by yourself. You are going to be alone against the frost if you're not careful. And so you want to try and keep them with you for as long as you possibly can. I really like it. I think if people have played, so if people have listened to my previous re uh, recommendation and actually gone and got some of these other ones, I would definitely say that this is, this is well worth looking into. I think this is one of my, uh, what, I think this is better than Alone Against the Dark, which I thought was very good. I think this is better than that. I think it's nearly as good as Alone Against the Tide. Um, it's not as good as Alone Against the Flames, which is, for me, uh, which, and funnily enough, that actually comes in the starter set. I think that's the best That's the best one of all. Um, and I think that that's the best one of all because I, because of a, a core problem, I think, that Call of Cthulhu has at times, um, or at least Call of Cthulhu writers sometimes run into. And that is that this one is hard, like really difficult. And it uses that difficulty to try and evoke a sense of horror. So mm. first time I played this, 
because it, it sort of warrants multiple plays. Because it never tells, as far as I can tell, it never tells you you win. It just tells you the end, right? So you will get a different adventure. The first time I played this, I went to five different locations and died. Like that is five different turns of the book, pages in the book, and died. It was difficult. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I got unlucky there. My second turn on this, I lasted three. Like it was really, really difficult. And I think that one of the, the core things, I, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the things I think that Silent Hill gets right so well and other horror of that kind of ilk, and I think the thing that Alone Against the Flames gets right so well is that it leaves you, it leaves you alone for long enough that you think, I'm on a roll here. I'm going to try and keep myself alive here. And it balance, it's so well balanced, or at least my playthroughs of Flames were so well balanced, that it's very difficult for you to die, but you always feel like you're almost dead. Like you always, you always feel the peril of I'm just about to die. And then you either make it through at the end or you know you only just don't get through it, right? Whereas Alone Against the Frost is very much a like, if you decide to go down this route, you could just die. Like you could just take the wrong direction and it's all gone wrong for you. Arkham Horror of the Card Game, Chris, was like that a bit, wasn't it? In terms of that, those, those weird spikes in difficulty. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like a combination lock, and that's a question I wanted to ask you, Pete, really here. You mentioned the fact that it feels like expeditions. In those instances where you lost, how much of that was because of just choosing the right locations? And there's, is there a kind of a sense of a sense or of an order, kind of an order that makes it a little bit more easier to last longer? And how much of that was just uh, bad dice rolls? So some of it was definitely bad dice rolls. Like um, I had like a really bad... Uh, 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 one of my failures was definitely just down to bad dice rolling. And, that, and that's fine. Um, people's appetite for that varies, but that's fine. Some of it is not necessarily the wrong locations. You have to go to basically all of the locations if you want to do really well. But like the order of them, but, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Really. Like, like, do you decide to shoot the gun at the uh, person who has... Uh, the silhouetted figure that is in the doorway? Or do you decide to not shoot the gun at the figure that is silhouetted in the doorway. And you have no more information upon which to base your decision. So you have to be like, this, I guess we go left, or I guess we mm. go right. And unfortunately, what that means is sometimes you can end up in a situation where you've made a decision based on very little information. And that, 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 that's, I would say that's bad enough. But then when the punishment is death, or you're not really gonna make it out of here now, that's really galling. I will say that like the the structure of it is short enough that those deaths don't feel as aggressive as they do in something like Alone Against the Dark, where those deaths mm. felt mean, like re like like oh gosh. But the thing that keeps me coming back to it is the writing. Like the thing that kept me there was because it was really frustrating at times. But the thing that kept me there was was absolutely the writing, the way that um, Glenn Rahman, who wrote the original describes the Canadian wilderness is beautiful and desolate and haunting and the way that he describes uh, trying to forage and survival and injuries, the way he describes injuries is horrible but really entertaining, really like ooh, like really spun, spun tingling. Can I just perhaps just ask a question that's somewhat broader than just looking at kind of Alone Against the Frost. This may pain you to, to hear, Pete, but I've never read any Cthulhu that's at fine. all. 
nothing like that and like it's such a major part of kind of uh the kind of the the so-called geek culture that we are are all part of and all engage in that Mm -hmm. it's such a big part of that that kind of like i don't really kind of ask about it because it's kind of like i should know about this but i actually don't so what i was just going to ask you is kind of there are two things that i know about kind of cthulhu and call of cthulhu one of them is that you love it yeah that's one and the other thing that I think I know is that it's about a big octopus monster. Right, no, no. Okay, no. so see, this is where I thought I was, I, I, I may have been mistaken. Because a lot of the things I hear about, and like you're talking about there, don't sound very big octopus monstery. Squiggly, like, squiggly. I, did, I do, one thing I do really want to watch is the, um, the series with uh, Jonathan Majors called Lovecraft County, I think it is, or Lovecraft yeah. Country. I really want to watch that. And I did see in the trailer there is a big giant octopusy monster thing in that. Yeah. So what I wanted to kind of ask you is like, what is it about Cthulhu that gets you kind of so much? So you're absolutely right. Cthulhu is a huge part of geek culture, I would say. I would say that Lovecraft is actually the bigger influence. And I think they are separate. So Cthulhu is a bit of a meme, right? So the actual like squiggly squiggly guy, that's Cthulhu. Green monster lives under the sea, all that sort of stuff. Will be awoken when the stars are right, all that nonsense. Lovecraft created the mythos and created Lovecraftian fiction and weird, like really pushed weird fiction. Didn't create weird fiction, but really pushed this subject weird fiction forward. And basically the the thing that, that he was most interested in was things like cosmic horror. So this is the idea that, and this is this is what I love about it. So the thing about cosmic horror is the idea that the universe is an uncaring, hostile environment. Science will only let us figure out that it is an uncaring, hostile environment. We shouldn't try to understand this thing because we will never understand it. There's a very good quote at the start of the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition book, and it's the thing I think really encapsulates what this is all about. And it it's from one of Lovecraft's books. And the quote is, The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. And basically the idea is that that we are essentially just ants to a whole bunch of different stuff that goes on in, in the universe, in this Lovecraftian universe. And it isn't that... So Cthulhu is often like Cthulhu or Nealathotep or or, or Yogg-Sothoth or or lots of these other gods um, and creatures are all, they're very often in pop culture, like they really care about humans, like they really care about like killing humans, but actually the way that Lovecraft wrote about them, they don't don't even know we exist. Like we are literally like ants, like um, accidentally getting stepped on by us. Right, like we just don't know they exist. Uh, sorry, they just don't know we exist, but we know that we can know that they they exist. But our minds can't contemplate what they are without uh, going mad, and that's kind of where sanity comes in with Call of Cthulhu. So the thing I really love about it is this more philosophical idea of the complete unknown and hum- humanity not being able to really consider what it is that it's seeing and there's a bunch in the in in uh, alone it's the frost where it goes into that where the the combined with the really i think graphics not even the right word but like really unsettling descriptions of attacks and um like there's a very really interesting description of someone's skin 
the, the, the way that combined with all of that stuff just makes you really shudder and, and, and mm. remember that, oh God, no, there are horrible, horrible things out there and I just want to go and sit in a dark room and be away from it. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that this does well. And again, this idea of like, you're alone. Like another big thing is like, humans clinging together against the unfettered madness of the universe right like that's a big idea within within this stuff and that's what i love about the call of cthulhu role-playing series as well in that it allows you to tell those horror stories that aren't just oh no there's a a guy with a knife and a and a hockey mask like that's really boring to me right what's more interesting is <laughs> what's more interesting is definitely stuff like uh, uh, secret societies who are secretly plotting the downfall of uh, civilization because of something that they've been misled to believe is true. Like that's that's a classic uh, kind of story trope within uh, Call of Cthulhu, for example. And these solo games do that really well because I also continue to be a big believer that the smaller the group with Call of Cthulhu, the more effective the horror is because you're yeah. setting the pace of the horror itself. Like I like Call of Cthulhu in groups. I've played it with like five or six people before as, as investigators and it's cool, but everyone has to be on board with the, with the, 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 the fiction and the feel. Right. And if you have one person who's prepared to break the horror and be funny with it, it turns the horror into something slightly different. Whereas with these alone books and with one-to-one -one scenarios, you are much more in control of the kind of intensity of horror that you want to, to have with it. And I think it's very effective. I've also actually been playing with myself recently. Sam, how long have you been waiting to make that joke? Since I started? <laughs> um, well, you've Is been this... talking about Cthulhu I mean, to be fair, Pete, you, can't, you made the exact minutes. joke, so you can't say anything. But yeah, I've been. Uh, I had a lovely week off from work. It was half term, and I got lots of stuff done. I finished all six volumes of Paper Girls. Thank you, Chris. I Pleasure. finished the first volume of Batman Eternal. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure. And um, I, I, I generally just felt guilty for having lots of Chris's stuff, so I, I spent a week just. I mean, I've got your copy of Horizon Forbidden West, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was in CEX the other day and I thought, oh, those prices are tumbling down. <laughs> I told you, I told you, I'll pay you the difference. Oh, <laughs> anyway, um, but um, I also just got the opportunity to play a couple of um, solo games um, that I've sort of had in the wings um, and just and just and just and just not got not got around to play them. Um, one of them was Resident Evil Two, the board game, hmm. which is actually really good uh, it's really? designed it? by the same guy who yeah it actually is um it's designed by the same guy who uh, made horizon zero dawn the board game okay. sherwin matthews and i just think he seemingly just has a really good knack of being able to pick the right things from a video game and put them in into the board game space and i, and I think if anything resident evil pulls off a bit more than horizon does like there's um thematically it's just a bit it's, it's it's a bit stronger and there's a lot more tension there and you know things like inventory management and mm -hmm. um making tough decisions and um uh thinking tactically about what you're going to do in a given situation lends itself more to 
like the Resident Evil as a franchise, and especially the early Resident Evils, um, mm. than it does to similar things that are in Horizon, the board game. And when you're uncovering items in the board game and thinking, I've not got enough inventory space to actually put this in, like it, it that could feel like a really annoying board game mechanic, but it's not, it's the game. <laughs> So 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 how does it play, Sam? Because I know in Horizon um, Zero Dawn, it was like it was like a, a, it was taking that section of a game where it was literally yeah. just you stalking a creature, yeah. a, a machine, one at a time. What does it do in here with Resident Evil Two? So this is very much the game, as in the the video game. You you work through scenario to scenario until you get to the into the final boss, like the first. Um, sort of training scenario is you trying to get into the Raccoon City Police Department, which is exactly what happens in the oh wow um, in Resident Evil Two, and then yeah. the rest of the game is like exploring it. So the the another scenario that I played was I had to get upstairs in the Raccoon City Police Department and and get into the Stars um, area on yep. the second floor. Yeah, and to do that, I had to find certain keys and explore different hidden rooms, uh, avoiding zombies, avoiding liquors. Like it, it's it's very much just going through the motions of the game and you and you're doing all the things that you do in in the game. There's inventory management, there's when you come across zombies, it's making that decision of right, am I going to shoot? Am I going to stab? Or am I going to just try and like whoo, evade and just and just get past them? Um, do you have to turn on the spot as well? <laughs> oh God, no! Oh, Chris. You have, do you have to wait a turn every time you come up to a door? Um, nearly, pretty much. But but doors are one of the most important things in the game, Dan. And it and it's incredible, like how much you get really concerned about doors, because how the zombies work is basically they're only active if they're sharing a tile with you. So if they're sharing a space with you. So if you're, say, on a, on a tile that's four by four and all the doors connected to it are closed, only those zombies or that particular zombie will interact. It will just start lurching towards you. But if you've left lots of doors open, then suddenly huh. there's lots more tiles that are connected to that space. So suddenly all the zombies around you will start basically moving their way into that's the space that you're in. So things that you do, like every time you attack all the other zombies that are connected will march towards you when you dodge and doing things like that it's it's it really gets you to think about how you're using the space and what you're actually prioritizing which is actually quite interesting in a game like this where you are you're not trying to be like a one person killing machine like you really have to think about how savvy you're being with the ammo that you've got how much risk you're prepared to put into actually getting these items and trying to fill up inventory slots versus just getting to the objective and doing the goal like how much of a risk is that to your health just to get to the goal it's the game is good but and here's a big but is that mm. um we were kindly sent this we we're kindly sent this by steamforge games but they also sent us resident evil 3 which okay. oh my okay is at first glance is mechanically exactly the same as Resident Evil 2, but production-wise and 
uh, outlay-wise, I think is a much better game. And I want Chris to verify this for me. So I don't really want to speak more about Resident Evil, the board game, until me and Chris play it Ooh, this weekend, if that's okay. Interesting. Yeah, oh, I'm looking forward to that, definitely. It, it seems like they took on so much feedback from Resident Evil 2 and just iterated on it for the mm. for Resident Evil 3. Um, so it it feels like a much it's going to be a much better experience. So if, if you know if we're in the game of recommending things to people, I just want to make sure that you know I'm right when I say mm. these are great games, but this is the version to importantly version though, to Sam. Importantly though, Sam, somebody like me, yeah, what their minis like? Um, really good, I think. Really good. Um, yeah. you can see some of the minis on Instagram. I made a little reel with me and the good clean american boy leon s kennedy Excellent. um yeah the, the the minis are good um the the zombies uh are really evocative the liquors look like liquors and the zombies you know have um different poses the female zombies seem to be quite sexy which i don't really get but uh but yeah but it's it looks really great on the table and the minis really do stand out and there's some like big big minis in here like cool Birkin Stage Three, yeah, and Nemesis, yeah, like, I'll bet. they're proper beefy boys. I was going to ask Sam in terms of scalability, in terms of player count. You're playing this by yourself, yeah. Like if I if I was to join you in Resident Evil Two, what would the mm. difference be in terms of the setup time? Or oh, sorry, the setup for that really? Uh, no difference really. Um, in okay. fact, it was I was enjoying the solo experience, but I was. One of the ways that the um, the game works in terms of encouraging that cooperative play is that certain characters only have proficiencies for certain weapons. So Leon S. Kennedy isn't good enough to have a bow gun. Fair enough. Um, and the bow gun is great because it can hit multiple enemies in one attack. It pushes them back as well as hitting them, but he just can't. He hasn't got the fingers for it. Fair enough. But if I was playing with someone else, then we'd have a lot more of a spread of weapons and mechanics within that to to play with. In terms of setting up, it changes nothing. It's just an extra mini on the table and a little board in front of you as a player. Um, but I think that the the way they thought about it and implemented it is actually really good. And it doesn't actually change much the setup in terms of there's not more creatures on the board what actually happens is which is a bit like pandemic is you end up drawing more from this thing called the tension deck and the tension deck is something that you flip over after every yeah. turn which adds which either can be something like all clear yeah nothing fine or it can be two zombie wolf dogs jump through the window and now suddenly they're in the room with you so because yeah. you've got more players you're drawing from that um, right i see more often that's nice there's an elegance to that yeah but it wasn't the only solo game I got around to playing. Mm. Um, the other one I played was something that I backed on Kickstarter a long time ago. Now, so is, is this one of your Kickstarters that actually came through? It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, you know, sunk cost fallacy alarm here about yeah. this. Yeah. But it was a Kickstarter that I, I, I just couldn't, I just could not not back. Because a, it's been designed in part by Tim Fowers. Ooh, oh yes, hello, legend, <laughs> the legend. And b, it was a um, a board game inspired by Slay the Spire. 
That's cool. So, um, if you guys, you guys have all played Slay the Spire, haven't you? Come on. I have not played Slay the Spire. I have Jeez. not played Slay the Spire. I have not played Slay the Spire, oh. but, I, but I am very well aware of how great it is. And every once in a while, I hover my finger over the purchase button on the mobile version, and I'm like, "Yes." And, and then I just no, I'll buy another pair. Of, I'll buy another pair of long jobs. Yeah, exactly. Fair, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, you should Slay Slay the Spire was one of my favourite um, deck building games, uh, usurped only by Monster Train, which which kind of scratches um, lost me. Uh, a different a different itch for me, but. Slay the Spire was was a deck building game where you're basically working your way up this big spire to, to kill a boss at the end. And it's a roguelite as well, which means that as you're playing the game, you're collecting items along the way, which makes you a bit more powerful, makes you more effective in battle. Uh, but when you die, you die, you lose everything. You've got to start from the beginning again. So um, Tim Fowers was like most um, normal people, was um, enthused and, and, and loved slay the spire right yeah so wanted to see if um along with sky larson wanted to see if they could develop an analog version of it basically so they call it the world's first um analog roguelite deck building game cool and on the most part they've um (laughs) really succeeded um and it's a, a it's a really interesting proposition so the game is called paperback adventures and it's a hybrid essentially of Slay the Spire and one of Tim Fowles' earlier games called Paperback, which is also one of my favourite deck building games. And Paperback was a game where instead of deck building in the same way that you would do with Star Realms, so therefore building up a bigger and bigger army that's more powerful and, you know, has more weapons and does more damage turn by turn and your stuff that you're buying from the shop is creating synergies and you know, you're just building on, building on, building on until you, you like, wore your opponent down. Paperback did it all with letters. So when you're buying stuff from the shop, you're buying more letters to add to your deck. And when you're fighting each other, quote-unquote, you're actually doing it with words. So if you make a longer word, then you, quote-unquote, done better than your opponent. You can buy more things from the shop. You can get more victory points. Yeah, it's, um, it's an incredible game. So what Paperback Adventures does is it takes that, theory but applies it to slay the spire so what you have on your turn is you have a character who comes in a separate box so you have the core box and then you have there's three separate boxes each one is a character which is just like slay the spire when you start slay the spire you select a character and those characters will perform in certain ways some may be more defensive some may be more attack minded some may be a hybrid of the two or use powers in different ways and then you've got an enemy in front of you and the great thing what slay the spire did is it had this mechanic where you always see what the enemy is going to do to you so you know when the enemy is going to attack you know when it's going to defend you know when it's going to use certain powers to attack you so you spend your energy anticipating and reacting to what the enemy is going to do to you on that turn and paperback adventures works exactly the same way so for example Right, the enemy is going to block five this turn and then heal two. So maybe I don't want to um, attack. Maybe I want to like build up energy or maybe I want to attack but make sure I'm getting enough attack to get through the initial block. And then the next turn the enemy is attacking five. So that means I have to work on building up my block in order to defend against their attack. And 
paperback adventure has all this in it's for a tim fowers production you can imagine it's all immaculately presented yeah of course each the the characters and the enemies that you face come in these um game trays designed by game trays with a z and you have these wonderfully chunky and heavy tokens which you use to track things like energy and health and boons and curses and you have the the table is full of all these sprawling cards which represent the shop where you can go and buy things the archives and the items and the MacGuffins, as they're called in this. And you kind of look at it all on your table and you realise, you know, that's why they make video games out of these kind of games because <laughs> having all this here, right, you know, makes you realise how much is hidden behind the elegance of a video game, how much is, like, done in the background. It's like it's like when you play one of these, like, I, like I, I had... Um, it come up a lot this, uh, today. Um, Fantasy Flight's um, take on Civilization, Like... It's so massive because you realise you and there's so much accounting going on because yeah when you're playing the video yeah. game it's all just click here click here click in the here, background done right yeah exactly yeah so there's so there's a lot of micromanaging in paperback adventures and it takes a lot of sort of getting used to and getting into that rhythm rhythm of playing which is kind of thing the one thing that Slay the Spire and Monster Train will always have over a board game like this but it but it is a delight still to kind of when it's all finally laid out and you've kind of got it in your head what happens after each turn it's such a wonderful thing to play Hmm. and i think that the actual core concept of what you're doing each turn is really satisfying especially someone who still is playing not words every day who's still like doing daily like word challenges because that's what the game is it's a word puzzle you have these you have this deck of cards which have all got letters in them and each turn you have to make a word and you use that word to battle the enemy that you're up against. But, and this is the rub, each each word, each letter has a certain power attributed to it. And if it's the top card of the word that you're playing, then that special ability gets activated. So that's the first thing that you've got in your mind is, what do I need to do this turn? Do I need to heal? Do I need to buff up my defense? Do I need to buff up my um, attack? Is there anything else that these that these cards can do the abilities to help me this turn right that one's quite handy oh it's an e oh hmm, that's going to be you know difficult with these letters that i've got to try and make a word out of an e but we'll give it a go then the other thing that you've got to contend with is whatever is left on the top of your word at the end of the turn will get fatigued it'll get thrown basically into a fatigue pile and that doesn't go back into your deck until after you've beaten the enemy so you're in a race against the clock. So sacrificing things like vowels and big hitting, big hitting words or big defensive words right early on might not be benefiting you either. Mm. Then the other thing to consider is how you, and I don't really like this word, but how you splay the cards is also critical. Because on the right-hand side of the cards is attack. On the left-hand side of the cards is defense. Mm. So say if I, was, if I was spelling the word tell, if I had the T at the bottom, then the E on top, then the L, then the L, that would be, that's splayed in a certain way where all of the attack is hidden and only the defense is shown. And then the right. L is my top word. Yeah. But if I put the L on the bottom, then the L on top, then the E, then the T, the T is the top word and all the attack is showing. So that's how the game manages that. Well, what are you going to do this turn? Are you going to attack? Are you going to build up energy? Or are you going to defend? And it also determines what your top card is going to be. And it means that every single turn is critical. 
every single turn matters and means something because it will either have a dramatic effect on what you can do next turn or it has a dramatic effect on what the the enemy is able to do and then that has an effect on what your character and what their situation is going to be in the longer term in terms of you know buying for stuff from the shop beefing up your your arsenal buying more items unlocking more stuff and yeah the get the game is just marvelous it's absolutely solid i've i've not made my way past book two yet in terms of like the how the progression stages works and i'm playing with lots of things called plot twists which essentially make the game slightly easier um (laughs) but yeah for someone who's like 238 day streak on not words um though that a word puzzle game blended with slay the spire is kind of like exactly you know in my wheelhouse at the moment it's it's superb i watched wednesday well i'm actually three three episodes of the way through wednesday on netflix okay uh which has a really interesting kind of pairing in terms of its creative team on the one side you've got alfred goff and miles miller who Who i knew who did smallville back in the day paired with tim burton okay well you know you can't have everybody you want on a project right like but now i wasn't necessarily a big fan of the adams family kind of growing up i was more of a monsters fan as a kid okay Uh, i love the monsters yeah 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 and so i i'd kind of put off watching this for a while because this came out last year as i said it's on netflix and I thought, oh, is that going to be a really interesting thing to watch? Taking a character who, admittedly, I really like the character of Wednesday Adams yeah. from the Adams family, giving them their own kind of spin-off. And everyone kept raving about this series online, and my students really liked the show. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a watch. And it it has that same kind of biting, sardonic, deadpan humour that I love that Wednesday Adams gives. And there's some fantastic one-liners in this um, series alone that I've experienced. Like, I don't bury hatchets, I sharpen them. (laughs) Which is just... I just delivered in this wonderful kind of deadpan way. And it's uh, General Tager is playing Wednesday Adams and they are fantastic in the role. They're brilliant. And essentially the premise is this. They... um, They've been expelled from yet another school Mm. and their parents send them to a private school um, that is the same school that they went to when they were younger. And it's called Nevermore Academy. And essentially it's Hogwarts crossed with a borstal (laughs) where all the the kind of kids who are deemed as kind of outcasts are kind of put together. It's in a private school, so there are those kinds of Hogwarty kind of vibes, but you've got children who have kind of different supernatural abilities that are kind of, they kind of group themselves together. So it replaces those kind of high school cliques with other cliques like the werewolves, the gorgons, the vampires. And I was like, okay, a high school story, really? Oh, I'm not really interested in that. But, what has kind of kept me really interested is there is a mystery at the centre of all of this. There's something really strange going on here because Nevermore Academy is in Vermont, but it's in this town of Jericho, this fictional town of Jericho, and it's next to it. And the, the locals there in Jericho know all about this academy. It's not like Hogwarts where the muggles are unaware of what's happening in the school. They know. Right. And there's this kind of strange tension there because... 
the income from the private school is essentially stimulating the economy of Jericho. So they kind of need this school, but they don't like needing that school. So there's this really interesting mystery going here about the origins of the town of Jericho, but there's also something going on within the school itself. And Wednesday Adams is a detective. So what you've got here is actually a mystery. Uh, and, and that's what's driving the plot each week, learning about what, who is who and what is what in terms of what is going on here. And it, it, and then everything else around that is a kind of like a kind of an interesting spin on those kinds of tropes and a kind of wry take on those kinds of tropes where it's like, what would happen if I put Wednesday Adams in Mean Girls? Well, she would absolutely destroy all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting. And she's accompanied by Thing, the hand Thing as a sidekick and it's really lovely they have a, you actually get to lean into how they communicate Fing has this kind of elaborate set of sign language he uses to communicate with her and she'll send him off on jobs to kind of like survey while she's doing her own detective work elsewhere really and it's just quite cool and uh, <laughs> yeah the performances are great you've got Gwendolyn Christie who the last time we heard Sam was um, obviously Lucifer in the Sandman playing yeah. the headmistress of this school That's uh, Christina yeah, oh, she's fantastic in this role. Uh, Christina Ricci's back, the original Wednesday from the 90s oh, really? film. Yeah, she has a part in this series, um, playing a member of staff who's kind of what they call a normie, who's a person who doesn't have any supernatural abilities, but they, they work in the school. And uh, she also has an adorable roommate called um, Edith Sinclair, played by Emma Myers, who is the complete antithesis of Wednesday. They are really bright and colourful, and half the, the uh, their half of the room is just a, a kaleidoscope of colour, and this and the, the they've painted the windows on their side so it's like a stained glass, and on Wednesday's side it is literally just sparse and black and full of despair, <laughs> and just everything she does she's just such a badass. She turns up for fencing and she's the only one dressed all in black, like it's that kind of like that classic kind of like American kind of gothic kind of mm. depiction really. And yeah, it, it's fantastic. And really lovingly, it kind of leans more into the kind of Latino aspects of it hmm. as well, which is really, really lovely. And yeah, I, I, I'm really, really enjoying it. Like we get to the end of every episode. Like, yeah, I kind of want to stick on another one, really. It's, I want to see where this mystery is going, really, and whether it will stick the yeah. landing. That's, it, that's interesting. What's the, what's the through line of the, the actual story then? Because I just, I, you know, my, my concern about it was that the Adams family is the Adams family, and like, if you yeah. don't like one character, then you like the other. And there was a, a you know, there was a texture. There was a, yeah, uh, uh, a real living sort of sense to them as a group. But Wednesday was taking her out and making her the focus. Seemed a bit, yeah. It feels like odd. F- feels like doing a Joey. Well, yes, this is, this is kind that of what it. they did with the um the the second Adams family film, the Adams family values, because obviously in that film, like you have that lovely kind of B plot oh. of Wednesday and Pugsley going off to like an American yeah. summer camp. So they absolutely, oh, yeah. they're in that situation. They take her and it's, it's primarily, she's the, she's the lead of that subplot. Yeah. Um, and they take her and it's fish out of water. And like, that's the bet. I mean, I'd agree with you, Chris, like the Christina Ricci as Wednesday is the best thing in those films. Cause she just nails that deadpan nature, especially in that second film. So it's, a, it's so it, to me, it did kind of, if you're going to try and do a spin-off series for anyone in that, she's probably the best option because she's the most weirdly charismatic, even though it's completely deadpan. Yeah. There is that charisma that comes from there, and it's kind of proven that that, that can work. I think that's probably why you mentioned kind of 
it's why you mentioned there the the roommate being the antithesis of her which is again what is played off as which is what the entirety of that subplot in the Adams Family Values was and obviously this is just a component of that now it's obviously a very different environment um, yeah but it but it does there is a lot of things that you can do with that character because so far we've actually not seen underneath the surface of the character outside of these wonderful little moments and stuff so given our whole series to actually understand the character and obviously this is not canonical with the films or anything like that but in terms of the actual story of the adams family um we've not seen in kind of modern day popular culture because obviously they did have like i think a series way back when but I, I never saw that so they would have probably expanded a little bit on that the adams family actually started off as a comic strip um but there, then, there was a t an old tv series and then there was an old tv series yeah, yeah which came after uh, i think and then yeah then it got rebooted for the movies then i think there was a cartoon yes there was and now this i think that's the final yeah bit. tim burton had been approached to do something i think as around wednesday adam's character way back since the 90s it's like a standalone thing yeah and yeah and, and i i do like tim burton generally his why? directing style why uh well as a child it was i think Batman we should ask why he doesn't what is it that... just uh because it's just very one trick pony it's very some of it yeah uh, when you i think when you're a kid there's this like delicious darkness to it where, where, wow. where tim burton I, I i feel yeah too much of a good thing that's why i think like i've not watched every single tim burton film because i i kind of get a sense that there, I, if I watched all of the films, yeah. it would just they would kind of it would dilute the quality of some of the other ones. You start to see the recurring motifs. Say, for example, like yeah. Sleepy Hollow is generally one of my favorite. It's probably one of my most watched films. I adore Sleepy Hollow to pieces. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful kind of gothic horror, um, and I love Batman nineteen eighty nine. And those are my two faves really from Burton. I even like Big Fish. What I remember he, watching what that. What did Burton do one eighty nine? He directed it. Yeah. He directed the whole thing. That's pretty impressive. He directed the whole thing. The whole, and that, all by that, himself. No, oh not just the gosh. opening scene. Wow. Yeah. That film, I mean, like, that film changed the comic book film industry. Oh, I yeah, think without, without a shadow of a doubt. Like, there, yeah. He's de yeah, he's definitely done some very good and, stuff. And also, I say as well, in addition to Tim Burton having his, um, his directing chops also in this series, Danny Elfman does the music as well and that's a those two are a match made in heaven as far as i'm concerned you do get a little bit of the family here you see pugsley you see lurch you see morticia played by Catherine zeta jones in this that's cool uh, and you see lewis gusman as gomez adams and because the parents went to this school there's something going on here that the parents haven't been telling and i don't know what it is yet mm. but the headmistress was a schoolmate of wednesday's mothers so there's something going on here i don't quite know it could it could fall flat at the end i don't know but my gut instinct tells me it won't and it's 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 water cooler television like me and my partner like i do you reckon it's this person is this or it's that because there's this strange creature here i'm trying to work out who it is and where it's come from like i reckon it might be them because of this 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 and this so we're having these lovely kind of conversations in between episodes which for me is a nice thing to have like a water cooler moment television which I haven't really had for quite some time, water cooler television. Probably not since WandaVision, for me personally. Mm, yeah, I can get that. Yeah, and or. I suppose, but I was only watching it at the time and then you watched it, Dan. So it was kind of a delayed water cooler moment. The water had, was very, very <laughs> stagnant by that a point. Luke, <laughs> a lukewarm water cooler moment. So Dan, 
what do you what do you think this show would have been like if we had sang happy birthday to you and me at the start i just i i think i think there would have been like just a heightened level of joy throughout i think mm. i think starting mm. at that mm. level would have just just put everything on a slightly kind of higher mm. higher reach for us and then we'd have been able to really just embrace the joy of of friends being together and sharing this 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 lovely moment instead we went on a long john journey yeah pete i want to ask you as well what do you think would have happened mm. with your life now if you hadn't have discovered long johns at the end of november last year i think i'd be a shell of a man <laughs> well you might be depends how long it's been since you took your long johns off long johns off yeah 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 he's, his legs be hollow inside withering a shell of a man does that mean if i held you up to my ear i'd hear the ocean yeah Oh, I would. But, do you, but Sam, do you think we made the right decision? Well, I say we. I think me and you both wanted. No, to, absolutely, ab- like, absolutely I think, I think not. Pete was I, the driving the, force. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I mean, for me, my birthday is a precious cover to time. Uh, I make sure that the, the first thing I do on my birthday morning, and please, can everyone just picture this, is I get up, get out of bed, and I um, log on to my work laptop, and I book off next year's day off as leave <laughs> and that's I, the first I ne- thing i, I do. always put my my birthday off and this year not only yes yes, yes. that i have to work but i also had to go down to no. london to work so i didn't like, no. I, just, I woke up on my, the morning of my birthday in a hotel yeah but dan the fact that you're omitting it for the sake of pity is the fact that you were upgraded to the penthouse suite of this hotel <laughs> <laughs> I, I did accidentally uh yeah so uh, i checked into the hotel uh the night before uh my birthday and they said oh we've only got uh, twin rooms left i'm afraid and i was like that's fine that's fine that don't don't worry but that's absolutely fine went up to my room opened the door and alas the room was filled with someone else's belongings um so i <laughs> oh, swiftly Jesus. closed the door i won't that's, say which hotel yes, this was please I swiftly closed the door and scarfed back downstairs and said, excuse me, I don't think this is my room. Um, which comes in, oh, really, really, very, 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 very sorry. Um, yeah, I'll bet you are. new card, apologised profusely. Yeah. Went back up to my twin room, opened the door, and I thought, they've, they've, they've put me in an office. Like, they've <laughs> Just put me in, in the cloakroom. For God's sake, I need to get out. And then I glanced to the left and realised I was looking at an office which was adjacent to a large double bedroom as well. Oh, my god! <laughs> and a large house. I was like, oh, I'm not going downstairs now. Close the door, turn the lights on, run around. So, yeah, sofa, table, <laughs> a run around. Um, a part of London without making any um, wow. specific things. But, yeah, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a treat. That sounds like it. And and if you'd and if you'd unlike Pete and Chris would like to wish Dan and myself a happy, if not belated birthday, then you can get in touch. Yeah. Staying in part on Twitter. Oh, Facebook, I think we're gonna give our personal Instagram. We've got to make them see it. Um or staying in pod at gmail.com if you want to send a uh, an, an email. Uh, remember to put in the subject line uh, better friends. <laughs> And and, 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 and can boys. I, I and just while just while I get out from being thrown under the bus, yeah, go on. I just I also want to do a bit of a shout out to um, the listeners who got in touch to vote for Long Johns as yes, being the chat. You. Yes, yeah, thanks. 
doing for putting the this Lord's on this work. future course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord John. Lord John. <laughs> what would Lord John do? Uh, he would um, follow us on all those social platforms, and also Lord John uh, would check out our board game geek curated pages and our curated pages on Steam as well. Um, well, if you're looking for a birthday gift for myself or Dan, yep. um, then everything we've spoken about on there, everything we've spoken about on the podcast features on either of those two uh, lists. Um, Chris, every single time something is mentioned on the podcast that has some music associated to it, he picks a track puts it on one of our Spotify playlists. So is something from Wednesday going to go on there, Chris? Oh, yeah. Danny Elfman's definitely got to be on there. Okay. Which which playlist do you think it's going to slip into? It will probably go into Strong Brew, I think. Hmm. So if you want to check out any of those playlists that Chris lovingly puts together based on what we talk about on the show, then the details are in the show notes. And that is it. We did it. 